I, I want to try to pull some pieces together here this morning um, about this vision, and, and I, I don't know if I'll be able to do it all this morning, but I, I want to try. And I want to title this message, Be Thou My Vision. In fact, we're going to sing a prayer at the end of this message, the old hymn, Be Thou My Vision. I want to read a couple passages of Scripture just to kind of get us thinking along these lines. In Matthew 26, Jesus said to Peter when he was pulling out a sword, put, put your sword back into its place. And the proper place for a sword is not on a person's neck, but in its place, in its sheath. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And then in John chapter 18, Jesus answered Pilate and said, My kingdom is not from this world. We've seen this passage a number of times, but it's so profound and so little listened to. If my kingdom were from this world, you'd know it. My followers would do what the kingdoms of this world do. They'd be fighting. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You can know the kind of kingdom that you're a participant in by what the followers of the leader do. And the followers of this kingdom don't fight like the kingdoms of this world. Let's pray. Can I get some people around the auditorium to keep me covered in prayer? I, I just, uh, as the message is going forward, need a couple more over on this side. Okay, there you go. All right, thanks. Heavenly Dad, we come to you because we need, we want, we're desperate for a uh, depollution of our vision for your kingdom. God, give us a clear understanding of the unique, radical, distinct difference of your kingdom. And Lord, use that vision to motivate us to be utterly, completely, without abandon, sold out to be workers for that unique kingdom. It's so strange to this world, so strange to our ordinary way of thinking. But Father, collapse strongholds in our mind that resist receiving the unique holiness and purity of your kingdom and allow us to see. Open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart that we may see that we may see Jesus and that we may see the kingdom of Jesus and that we may be sold out to that kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. One of the uh, many benefits that you get from coming to Woodland Hills Church is that you get to listen to me. <laughs> no, um, we we uh, have movie reviews periodically, don't we? We, we? we do movie reviews. I mean, how many churches do that, huh? I mean, yeah. I'd like to see the competition meet that. Uh, we do movie reviews because we want our people to be informed about movies that are out there. So I'm going to start with a, uh, a brief movie review. I, uh, this week, saw, I've always been interested in, fascinated by actually, Homer's Iliad, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And so this week I went to see the movie Troy. Some of you maybe have seen that movie, and I want to just say a few things about it. Number one, uh, it is a very violent film. Uh, very violent, so if you're queamish about that, you don't want to go to this film. It's right up there with Saving Private Ryan and Braveheart. Uh, it's also sexually immoral. It's as sexually immoral as the Greeks were, and so uh, you got to know that going into this. But I'll say that it's not nearly as violent or as sexually immoral as Homer's classic itself. In fact, it's not nearly as violent or sexually immoral as the ancient Greeks actually were. Uh, back in the good old days when we didn't have bombs, we had to kill by hand, and it was absolutely grotesque. Um, and, and that comes out in the movie, but it's not as bad as it actually was. Still, the movie is offensive 
to our, us moderns and those terms, and so just know that going into it. Secondly, I'd say that the movie stars Brad Pitt as Achilles, and he is a hunk. Uh, <laughs> He's clearly lifting weights. He's ripped. He makes a great Achilles. Achilles is the mighty warrior and, and the lover and the philosopher and, and the tragic hero of the story. And, and so for some, that might make the movie worth seeing. But the third and the important thing I want to say about this movie is this. I've seen, I think, every movie uh, made about Troy and Sparta's battle with Troy because I'm just fascinated in the story. And this is the best adaptation of Homer's classic. It's a creative adaptation. Plays kind of loose with the text, of course, but it's the best adaptation that I've ever seen for this reason primarily. It captures something that I haven't seen any other film capture as well. And that is the main point of Homer's story. And it has to do with the the inevitability and the futility of war. The inevitability and the utter futility and stupidity of war. You see, in Homer's world, in the Iliad, human beings are driven by passions that we have trouble controlling and we usually don't control them. And our passions conflict with other people's passions and we can't seem to help ourselves and so we go to battle over it. We're driven by passions for glory and fame and passions for uh, our nation and passions for our gods and for passions for our, our religion and our, our, our ideologies and passions for our loves. And you see, our gods are different than their gods and our nation's different than their nation. And in the case of Troy, our love is for the same woman as someone else's love. And so war happens. And there's an inevitability to it and a futility to it. It doesn't really accomplish anything that any of the people who are fighting want it to accomplish. And that's the brilliance of Homer's Iliad. At one point, uh, Perseus says to uh, 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 Achilles, why do you do this? Why do you choose to live this way? And he goes, I choose nothing. I was born, and this is who I am. And we, we, we human beings are such beasts. This is just what human beings do. The theme is really... Uh, I think climaxed when uh, Perseus, uh, Perseus, who is this woman that Achilles has fallen in love with, he has just killed Perseus's cousin because this man had killed his cousin. And Perseus asks uh, Achilles, uh, you kill my cousin because he killed your cousin. When will it end? And Achilles, as much philosopher as warrior, says, oh, it never ends. It just goes on and on and on and on. And see, the brilliance of Homer's Iliad, I believe, is how close it lands to reality. The kingdom of the world is a tit-for-tat kingdom. It's a tit-for-tat kingdom. Uh, whether it with killing or with slander, with words, it's you hit me, I hit you harder. You hit me harder still, I hit you harder still. And it goes on and on and on. To enter into Homer's world, consider this. Uh, several weeks ago, we all saw or got news about the abuse that some of our soldiers have been inflicting on the Iraqi soldiers in prison. And it was on the media, and it was on the internet, and, and uh, more stuff is coming out now, and it's just horrific. It's just barbaric. It's, it's really unthinkable. But a few days after the, uh, those scenes were made known in the public, uh, the uh, another film was made known on the internet, and that was a film of some uh, Iraqi terrorists who had captured a civilian, uh, Mr. Berg, and they proceeded on film to cut off his head. 
Uh, and they, did it, they, they, they tell us in retaliation for the brutality that was done to their soldiers because we are a people of vengeance, they said, and this will continue. Now, undoubtedly, some of us, probably most of us, when we saw that film, a portion of that film, or at least heard about it, something deep inside us was ignited, a kind of a, a wrath, a kind of a rage. It hooks us into a, 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 a desire for vengeance, holy indignation. We want to see these people punished and punished hard. We want to see them, perhaps their heads cut off. We want to see our nation's glory restored, and for some, as it was passed around the internet, letters passed around on the email, it was, it was the glory of God restored because they're doing this in the name of a false god. Now, now, grab hold of that feeling of anger and righteous indignation. This is unjust. And realize that that's exactly why the terrorists cut off his head. They have the exact same feelings. And if you can do that, you've entered into Homer's world. Equally intense passions for God, for country, for justice, and they just collide. And of course we're saying, but ours is the really just one. Yes, I got that, but that's what they believe too, and that's what causes this tit-for-tat world to go on and on. The wheel of bloodshed goes on and on and on. And the goal, of course, is to win. But as Homer so clearly shows, no one ever really wins. There are temporary victories. I hit you, you hit me harder, I hit you harder. And eventually one of us knocks the other out, but there's always someone else who's going to come along and try to dethrone you. So the cycle goes on and on and on. And the history of the world has been the, the relentless river of blood that flows from this tit-for-tat kingdom, this tit-for-tat world. In some areas, it's been going on for decades, for some, in some areas for centuries. You look at Palestine and Israel. You bomb me, we bomb you harder. You bomb us back, you kill 10, we kill 15. You kill 15, we kill 20. You kill 20, we'll massacre 30. And it goes on and on and on. I've been going that way for 50 years. It's just a cycle, tit for tat. Some areas of the world, it's been going on longer than that. Rwanda, the Hutu and the Tutsi tribe, been fighting back and forth for a century. You go to Bosnia, the, the Serbs and the Croatians, the Christians and the Muslims have been fighting on and off for a thousand years, just tit for tat. In the meantime, thousands, millions of, of, of lives are, are wasted. Sri Lanka, major parts of Africa, it's been going on for centuries. It's just the kingdom of the world is a tit for tat kingdom. And understand that some of the anger, the wrath that fuels the terrorist animosity towards a America is their belief that it's a Christian nation, and they remember culturally what Christians did to Muslims a thousand years ago, and that continues to fuel them. And we might say, well, they did a lot of bad stuff to Christians a thousand years ago, and you're right, and now we're into the tit-for-tat game. Who started it? Who's more responsible? Who's more just? Etc. Etc. The bottom line, and this is what runs the world, the kingdom of the world, is that we have deep, instinctive, fallen passions that drive us. The, the conviction that our cause is the just cause, our nation is the, the, the righteous nation, our ethnicity is the superior ethnicity, our ideology is the best ideology, our religion is the true religion, our God is the strongest God. In the name of that, we go against opposition. For God and country, we go against the opposition, and the opposition goes against us for the exact same reasons. And it says, inevitable as it is futile. And the brilliance of Homer's Iliad is that it captures that, and this movie, in part, captures that. It also captures another profound truth in, Iliad's, uh, in, in Homer's Iliad. In Homer's world, the gods are always interacting with human beings. The gods of Mount Olympus, Zeus, and Oceana, and Arius, and all these others. 
And uh, the gods kind of see all of this sort of as good sport. Uh, human beings are those sort of like chess pieces. And, and they meet on Mount Olympus, and some say, well, I like this guy, so I'm going to fight on his side. Others say, okay, fine, I'll go fight on this side. And they kind of play human beings off one another, and Zeus is just amused by the whole thing. And so they help inflame the passions of people, and they help kind of orchestrate battles, and they do tricks now and then. And see, the profound truth is this. According to Scripture, there really are gods. There are principalities and powers. There are falling angelic powers. The prince of Persia, the Bible talks about in Daniel 10. And the prince of Greece. And, and there are rulers and authority that Paul talks about. And the head of the whole thing, the, the master tit-for-tat deity, if you will, is, is, his name is Satan. And Jesus says, or the Bible says, that he owns all the kingdoms of the world, all the tit-for-tat kingdoms of the world. He controls the entire world in John chapter, 1 John chapter 5. Uh, he is the God of this age and the principality and power of this air. And he plays human beings off of one another simply for good sport. He's the God of death and destruction. He loves death and destruction. And this is just good sport. And if he can strike a blow to God who happens to love these human beings, if he can strike a blow to God in the process of it, so much the better. And so to a large degree, human beings, while we all have free will, we play into this almost fatalistic hand as pawns of these spiritual beings. That is what drives the fallen world, the tit-for-tat world. Jesus came into this world to, in principle, end the tit-for-tat kingdom. He came into this world to deal a death blow to the tit-for-tat God, uh, to, 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 to strike a death blow to Satan and to, in principle, tear down the principalities and powers. In Colossians chapter 2, it says he's disarmed the principalities and powers. And the way that he does it is by establishing an alternative, radically alternative kind of a kingdom. A kingdom that, he says, is not of this tit-for-tat world. It's altogether different. The way he deals the death blow to Satan is by allowing the tit-for-tat world to crucify him. And he does it out of love. And then he says, go thou and do likewise. This kingdom is going to be radically different. It's the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of the sword. It's the kingdom of the cross. This is not a kingdom of retaliation. It's a kingdom of forgiveness. It's not a tit-for-tat kingdom. It's a turn-the-other-cheek kingdom. It's a lay-down-your-life-for-your-enemies kind of a kingdom. It's not a kingdom of the law, but it's a kingdom of radical Christ-like love. It's not a kingdom that goes forward by conquering others. If anything, it's a kingdom that actually goes forward by being conquered by others because Calvary looked like it was being conquered by Pilate, but in fact, that's how the kingdom of God goes forward. It's not a kingdom of people who see themselves as the superior ones, but rather it's a kingdom of people who know that they are saved sinners, and so it's a kingdom that's characterized by meekness and humility. It looks like Jesus. And it's not a kingdom that seeks to win the, the, or control the behaviors of people, it's a kingdom that seeks to win the hearts of people through self-sacrificial love and through service and through ministering to others. And that is the radically distinct kingdom of God. It looks like Jesus. Now here's what we've got to know going into this. That kingdom, that kingdom of God, that alternative kingdom that lets its leader get crucified when he could have called legions of angels, uh, that makes absolutely no sense. To Homer's world, it makes no sense to the tit-for-tat world. It doesn't fit into the natural categories of the fallen mind. It just doesn't do it. From a natural perspective, this kingdom is ludicrous. It's insane. It's madness. It's inviting disorder. It's, uh, it's absolutely impractical. It won't work. 
And I guess if you applied it on a national level, it wouldn't work, but Jesus wasn't trying to tweak a kingdom of the world. He was planning an entirely different kind of kingdom. Uh, to the natural mind, it's absolute insanity. And that's partly why it's so difficult to do. To enter into this kingdom, you have got to crucify some of the most basic fallen instincts of the human self. You've got to crucify the flesh, the Bible tells us. We've got to crucify our, our desire for retaliation. We've got to crucify our desire to win. Win in terms of conquering others or controlling others. We've got to die to our fallen impulse to control others. Die to living out of strictly our common sense. Die to that impulse that we all have to be the moral guardians and fixers of, of, of others. Die to all hope, that all ultimate hope, that, that a, a version of the tit-for-tat kingdom is going to uh, save the world and bring peace to the world. We die to that. And we commit to doing one thing. As kingdom people, we commit to doing one thing and one thing only. And that's loving like Jesus loved, imitating Jesus Christ and trusting God to rule the world. He's the sovereign God and trusting God to use our little and big acts of Calvary-like self-sacrificial love to spread his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and have the confidence that in the end that kingdom is going to win and all the kingdoms of this world will be toppled. It's incredibly difficult, which is why so few people do it. It's difficult, but it's rewarding. Because when you lose your life, and that's what it is, you find your life. Amen? When you die to self, you find a truer self. Uh, there's a dimension of joy and a dimension of peace that comes from from, 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 from dying to self, dying to that fallen self, letting go of, of, of the, that retaliation game, uh, uh, gaining insight into how futile and inevitable it is and opting out of that system and discovering the freedom of being a zombie for Jesus, if you will. I'm dead to the world and the world is dead to me. And there's freedom in that. And there's joy in that. And there's peace in that. And there's power in that. You have the freedom to love like Christ loves and that's a good thing. When you die to self, you enter into the life of God and that's a wonderful thing. When you die to striving for your own security, you find the supernatural security that's found in Jesus Christ where it really doesn't matter whether they take my life or not, my security is in him. You find something that's more important than life itself, something that's more important than your self-preservation. You find a value and a life and a glory in the true God who's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. It's difficult to do this. Oh, but it's rewarding. And this, and this is the most ludicrous thing you'll ever hear. This is the hope of the world. People opting out of that system, allowing themselves to be crucified in the name of love, therein lies the hope of the world. The hope of the world is not found in uh, one nation getting a few more bombs and a few faster bullets and a few better strategies. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now here's what I want us to see. I want us to see this. When you get a vision, an unpolluted vision for the kingdom of God, it, it becomes obvious when it is there and when it's not. It's not a secret invisible thing. It becomes a rather obvious thing. The kingdom of God looks like Jesus, and so wherever there are people who look like Jesus, do what Jesus did, nothing more, nothing less, you find the kingdom of God. And Jesus told us that, in fact, it would be clear. He says in Matthew chapter 7, by their fruits you shall know them. Fruits are things that grow on tree, and you can see them. We'll know them by their fruits. They'll know us by our fruits, at least they're supposed to. In John 13, Jesus said, they'll know you by your love. 
They'll know you. They'll see your love, and that's how they'll know that you're my disciples. In John 17, he prays, Father, I pray that they may be one even as we are one, that the world may know that you have sent me. They're they're supposed to see when, when the church embodies, when the kingdom of God embodies the love of God. In other words, when the church becomes the kingdom of God, embodies that perfect, unconditional, unsurpassable love that is God throughout eternity. When we incarnate that, when we embody that, when we replicate the Trinity in our, in, in our interactions with one another and with the world, then the world sees it. They know it. It's an obvious thing. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see this. And that is what, by God's own sovereign design, is to convince them that Jesus Christ is real. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love, God lives in us and his love is made complete. Teleao, which means it's fulfilled. It reaches its, its termination point in us. And now, in a sense, they do see God. People say, well, show me God. I mean, you can't see God, but they ought to see the love of God in the body of God, which is his people. And wherever that occurs, to the extent that that occurs, you're, 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 you have there the kingdom of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says to imitate God. Imitate God. What a high command. (laughs) Imitate God. Be like God. This is what it means to be godly. Imitate God. Mimic God. What does that look like? He tells us, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Do what Jesus did. Nothing more, nothing less. Just imitate Jesus in your life. And see, if you imitate Jesus, if the body of Christ imitates God, it was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. People see that. It's an obvious thing. It takes away the guesswork. If we serve like Jesus served, people see that. If we live like Jesus lived, people see that. If we honor Jesus' command to consider other people's sins to be mere specks, but our own sins to, to be like tree trunks coming out of our eyes, people see that. That kind of humility isn't found everywhere. It's a distinct thing that is here. The difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world is as clear and as obvious as the difference between absolute ugliness and absolute beauty. But the difference between Jesus and, and Caesar, and it's apparent. It's there. It's obvious. People get confused about what is Christian and what's not Christian, what's the church, what's not the church, you know, where's the kingdom of God, is this invisible kind of thing? We get confused about it only because we fuse together the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And we identify the kingdom of God as as a, a certain people who believe a certain set of things and say a certain set of beliefs and hold some particular ethical stances and take certain political positions and the positions, we leverage all the credibility for that being uh, the kingdom of God on the rightness of those positions. And then we grab the power over tit-for-tat game and try to use that to, to, to advance our, our beliefs and our, the rightness of our position, the rightness of our, our ethics and, and, and whatnot. And well, fine and good, but you see, when we do that, people don't see see the one thing that they're supposed to see, the one thing that's necessary to see, the one thing that God leveraged the furthering of his kingdom on, and that is our love. When we fuse the kingdom of God with the kingdom of the world, we become just one more group that, uh, one more group that says our cause is right, our cause is just, our God's a true God, our religion's a true religion, our way is the right way, and now we pick up the sword to try to advance that And even if it is true and wonderful and just, they don't see the love, which is the one thing they're supposed to see. And Paul says if they don't see love, the rightness of your position and the rightness of your cause and the stances that you take are self-serving and they're absolutely worthless. The kingdom of God, when it shows up, it's obvious. I used to, as I said several weeks ago, I used to really be tormented over the question of how uh, the, the major obstacle, the major objection to the truthfulness of the Christian faith is found in, in, in the church, which was supposed to be its main witness. 
And I would torment, how could Calvin have burned Michael Servetus alive because he wouldn't say the Son was eternally begotten? How, how could that happen? How can the church throughout history have, have, have created such a, a wheel of massive, murderous bloodshed? How is that possible if it's the true, if it's the true kingdom of God? And I, I really don't worry about that much anymore because I look at it and I say, does that look like Jesus? And Jesus never burned anyone alive, so that doesn't look like Jesus. So that's just a religious version of the kingdom of the world. Uh, and I don't, I, I'm not here to defend that. I'm not here to defend the, the quote-unquote Christian version of the kingdom of the world any more than I want to defend the Islamic or Buddhist uh, version of the kingdom of the world. And understand that most versions of the kingdom of the world have been religious. It's only been very recently that we've had secular kingdoms of the world. Most of them have been fueled by a belief in the rightness of our God and all that kind of stuff. And, and because it's very hard to motivate people to kill others and risk being killed unless there's a God who will give you immortality for doing it. Most versions of the kingdom of the world have been fueled by, by religious beliefs. And the Christian version, quote-unquote, is simply one of those. I have no interest in defending that. The kingdom of God is obvious. It is clear. When you identify the kingdom of God with Jesus, it looks like Jesus, then you see when it occurs. It doesn't take rocket science. There's no guesswork. You see when it occurs, and you see when it doesn't occur. And when you have a clear vision for the kingdom of God, you'll find opportunities all around you to advance that, which is why it's so important that we install in our brains a clear vision for the kingdom of God. Let me give you one example of this. Keith LeMay recently was just driving around and saw Ames Elementary School. And everyone, people have seen Ames Elementary School, and what they see when they look at that is simply an inner-city school. And so it's run down because inner-city schools are run down, doesn't have any money because inner-city schools don't have any money, and needs a bunch of repairs because inner-city schools usually need a bunch of repairs. But Keith saw an opportunity for the kingdom of God to be advanced. And the kingdom of God always looks like Jesus. And so he started some planning with some other people, and they put this thing together. They got 150 Woodland Hills volunteers. Before it was over, about 100 other people joined on, and the kingdom of God happened. Here's what it looked like. We had FedEx here today. We had Home Depot here. We had the Boy Scouts in the area. We had a, a girls group here. We had neighbors across the street. Uh, we had students. We had teachers. I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. I'll go where you send me. I'll go where you send me. Be your hands. Be your feet. I'll go where you send me. I'll go where you send me. And I'll try. what you've done for a group of citizens in St. Paul in saying we care because that's what's going to make a difference in our world. Today shows us that we are not forgotten as a community, as a school. The children of Ames and the parents of Ames and the community of Ames truly, truly thank you and will never forget the work that you're doing in the name of God.
Amen. 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 See, that's the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. No one's using any power over here. No one's standing over another. No one's coercing another. Uh, it's just people serving. No one's trying to fix someone else. They're trying to fix a building, uh, but they do it not by standing over, but by standing under and coming underneath and sacrificing of time and energy and resources to do it. And see, the kingdom of God is beautiful. The kingdom of God is beautiful. When it happens, it's beautiful. And when it happens, it's joy. Paul says in Romans 14, it's, it's love, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. And I, I, I don't think there's a person that was uh, helping out on that day who didn't feel joy in their heart. There's just, it's what you were created for. And when it happens, it's a beautiful thing. Religion is so often ugly and, and mean-spirited, but when the kingdom of God happens, it's a beautiful thing. And people are hungry for that kind of beauty, the beauty of love. And so it's attractive. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Uh, you won't need to coerce people to do it. They'll just come. That's why he was such an attracting force throughout his ministry. We started this thing with 150 volunteers, and, and uh, then the Boy Scouts said, we want to join along, and some neighbors said, we want to join along, and a few teachers said, we want to join along, and, and, and people just, then some businesses, they found out about it. They said, we want to join along. We want to be a part of that. You see, the kingdom of the world always defines, it's, uh, it's an us against them kingdom. That's why it's a tit-for-tat kingdom. You always have the opponents, the outsiders, those that you're against. But the kingdom of God is, this, is, is, is radically different. It's this all-embracing kingdom. We put a bear hug around people before they have a clue as to, you know, who we are or anything. Uh, we consider them our own before they're even thinking about Jesus Christ. And so we work with them, and, and that gives us a chance to rub shoulders with them and to fellowship with them and to serve with them and to serve them. It's, this, it's a beautiful, attractive kind of a kingdom. Then Home Depot ended up donating a bunch of money. Semstone and, and Wells Fargo, Byerly's, Lake Elmo Report do donated a, a dump truck. Uh, somebody donated a dumpster. Uh, and, and it just went on and on. People brought food. Uh, people you know, brought shovels and wheelbarrows. And it was this collaborative effort. And it was all about making this school a beautiful pace. You see a need and you meet a need individually and collectively. And that is the kingdom of God. And we don't, know to, we don't need to know. Uh, what the impact will be, we leave that to God. We plant and other waters, but God gives the increase. To be a kingdom of God person is to have faith that God will use what you do to spread his kingdom in any way he sees fit, in any way that is possible. We just obey. We just do the kingdom, and God uh, gives the increase. I don't know what the overall impact will be, but I'll tell you this. I believe that, that has more, uh, an act like that has more power to change the world than a nuclear bomb. Changing the world in, 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 in the right way. Changing, amen. See, the kingdom of God, every time we do something like this, well, the, the, the principalities and powers that are playing human beings off against one another, they bleed a little further. They're a little more dead today than they were before we did that. And God takes that Calvary kind of love and he uses it in people's lives. Uh, the impact, already we can see some of it. You know, here's a bunch of letters that kids wrote. Uh, thanking us for, 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 for what happened that, that Saturday afternoon. And some of them are just beautiful. One little girl says, I was embarrassed. I used to be embarrassed to come because our school was so broken down and it, we, everyone knew we were poor when we went there. But, but now I'm proud to go to school. See, a nuclear bomb can't do that. And, 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 and that's about the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God, the beauty of the kingdom of God. You see a need and you meet it, individually and collectively. Your neighbor's sick, you bring them some soup. You're doing the kingdom of God to that degree. Your neighbor's sick and you say, can I pray for you? And, and you're doing the kingdom of God. 
when there's a little boy on your block whose parents are never home and he's lonely, and you befriend that little kid, you're doing the kingdom of God. Powerful, mighty, conquering stuff for Jesus Christ because you're giving a portion of your life for that. When you go on a short-term missions trip, you're doing the kingdom of God. When we bleed together corporately here, when we take up an offering, giving a part of ourselves for the, for, for the work of the kingdom, we're doing the kingdom of God. When a neighbor's house needs fixing and you help him fix it, you're doing the kingdom of God. When you walk through an unwanted pregnancy with a lady, uh, you know, just to be there, you're doing the kingdom of God. And if she has an abortion and you're there to embrace her and, and work through healing, you're doing the kingdom of God. When you volunteer at the homeless shelter or volunteer at the school, we're doing the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus said that when you visit the sick, you're visiting me. And when you clothe the, the naked, you're clothing me. And when you visit the people in prison, you're visiting me. And when you take in those who are on the outside, you are, you're doing that to me. When you give a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty, you're doing that to me. Mother Teresa said this. Mother Teresa is one of my all-time heroes for the kingdom of God. Uh, look at her and you'll see a, a little mini Jesus. Therefore, you're seeing the kingdom of God. Here's what she said towards the end of her life. When I wash a leper's wounds, I don't know if you've ever seen a leper's wounds or smelled a leper's wounds, but it's among the most unsightly things you can see. But she says, when I wash a leper's wounds, I feel I am caring for the Lord himself. Could there be a more beautiful experience? That's the distinctness and the uniqueness of a vision for the kingdom of God. Lord, help us get that vision. To get a vision for the beauty of Jesus and then a vision for the beauty of his kingdom. We look at Jesus and we look through Jesus and see Jesus in everyone. See Jesus, the worth that Jesus gives everybody, we see that worth. And our one job in life is to agree that worth and do what we can to ascribe that worth. And when you walk with that kingdom vision, the, the, the beauty of the kingdom, it's obvious when it happens. There's no guesswork there. Is it, is it replicating Calvary? It's obvious. You can see it when it happens. And when you understand what it looks like when it happens... You begin to see opportunities around you every single day, big and small, to do the kingdom of God. And whenever you do it, it's life, it's love, it's joy. And the enemy is bleeding yet a little bit further. I want to end with just praying a corporate prayer together because we are called to be the body of Christ. Uh, the prayer is an old hymn, one of my favorite uh, old hymns. It's Be Thou My Vision. It's a prayer. Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be anything else. Just save what you are. <laughs> and uh, let's make this our prayer. As we sing it, ask God to give us a clear vision for the kingdom of God. And if you're here this morning, let me just do it this way. And, and uh, you want to give your life away. You've never, you've never signed up. You've never committed to the kingdom of God. Maybe you've been a part of a religious version of the world, a kingdom of the world, but you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As we're singing this song, I invite you to come and stand right up, up here. Uh, we're all going to stand. I, come, I invite you to come stand up here, and we'll just say a prayer together with you and usher you into the kingdom of God. So feel free to walk up here at any time and finish the song up here at the altar. But let's stand, and from the depth of your heart, sing this as a prayer to our lovely, beautiful Lord, and let it form our minds and our hearts to be kingdom minds and kingdom hearts. Amen. And praise God. So join with me as I, I pray with this young man and, and just repeat the words after me and we'll all join you with this because this is a community thing. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I acknowledge that you are God. I acknowledge that you are God. You are my creator. You are my creator. And you are my savior. And you are my savior. 
And you send Jesus, and you send Jesus to, die for me. to die for me. I accept, I accept that, sacrifice that sacrifice as being for me. As being for me. And I commit, and I commit my, life my life to imitating that to, imitating that to, all, people to all people at all times, at all times without, conditions. without conditions. Thank you, Lord, Thank you, Lord for loving me. And for saving me. And for saving me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Welcome to the kingdom, man. Praise God. If you just go over there, they got some information they'd like to give you at that table. <clears throat> Praise God. Amen. The Bible says it's foolishness. The Bible says it's foolishness. And so if it's looking just like another version of what's already out there, even if it's the right version, you believe, uh, it's not the kingdom. The kingdom always looks foolish, and it always looks beautiful because it looks so foolish. Praise God. Let's just close with this prayer. The prayer team will be up here. If you have any need, you want to come forward and get prayed for, I encourage you to do that. But Father, be thou our vision. As we go out of this place, be our vision. As we meet our neighbors, be our vision. As we love our spouses, be our vision. As we look at our kids, be our vision. Uh, God, uh, uh, together as a whole and individually be our vision and help us to see the beauty of the kingdom and have a heart to want to replicate the beauty of the kingdom in a world that's so very, very, very ugly. Uh, Lord, help us to be a people who display the beauty of you in every possible way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Go out and do the kingdom.